Previously on Making of a Giant Killer, David's life was in danger, so he fled into the wilderness. King Saul wanted him dead, and everywhere David went, the king was not far behind. But in the wilderness, David's faith deepened, and his prayers echoed through the hills. Until one day, when Saul entered a cave to rest, David and his men were already in the cave hiding, but Saul didn't see them. When David had the opportunity to kill him, he let Saul go free. This week, David finally faces his enemy on making of a giant killer. Yeah, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. It's great to see all of you. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online. We know this is your connection to our church, and so welcome to all of you as well. We are in a series called Making of a Giant Killer based on the life of David. It's been a great series. I don't know if you've noticed this, by the way, this uh, message this morning is called Watch Out for Fools. I don't know if you noticed this, but the world is full of fools. You may have a neighbor who's a bit of a fool. You may have a relative, parent, or classmate, maybe a random person you meet at a ball game or sports bar. And if you're not careful, you can really damage yourself by being around that foolish person. The Bible says this about fools. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. I mean, you're better off facing a bear that's ready to maul you than a fool who's in his folly. Folly means foolishness, senseless, witless. Folly is usually any behavior that follows excessive Drinking. <laughs> Three weeks ago, I was driving home from church, and I listened to a radio talk show that I'd never heard before. The radio host was a lawyer, and he was uh, answering people's questions about legal issues they had. It was about 12.30 Sunday afternoon, again, driving home from church. A caller called in, and he told a lawyer about a bar fight that he was in. The caller said this, a guy at the bar was trash-talking to me, so I punched him in the face. The lawyer said, well, then what happened? The caller said, well, he sued me for a million bucks, but the court only awarded him $4,000. Now, the caller was laughing and joking about this on the phone. So the lawyer said, and you're happy about that? The guy said, well, yeah, he wanted a million and only got $4,000. i am listening to this guy thinking he's completely crazy. Punches somebody at a bar, he's all happy about it because it only cost him four grand. But that wasn't the end of it. The lawyer said, well, well, didn't you have legal fees that you had to pay? And the guy said, well, yeah. I mean, it was in court for two years. I had to pay a lawyer $50,000. The lawyer said, so let me get this straight. He said, you punch a guy in the face, it cost you fifty-four grand, and you think that's a victory? The guy said, well, yeah. The other guy only got four thousand. I mean, I'm listening to this thinking I'm, I'm in the twilight zone. Friends, that's a fool. If that guy's single, gals, he is not dating material. He just lost four, fifty-four thousand dollars, two years of his life, and he thinks he won. Well, today we're going to meet another fool. His name is Nabal. N a b. A.L., how'd you like to have that name? We pick it up in 1 Samuel 25. David is still on the run, by the way. He's in the wilderness being hunted by Saul and 3,000 warriors. It says in verse 1, Then David moved to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man there 
who owned property. He had 4,000 livestock near the village of Carmel. His name was Nabal. And his wife, Abigail, was intelligent and beautiful, but Nabal was mean and dishonest in all his dealings. Goes on to say he was a fool, just as his name suggests. Evidently, the name Nabal in Hebrew means fool. I mean, what kind of a mother names their kid fool? (laughs) He has no chance, like naming him Willy Wonka or something. But if you're wondering if somebody is a fool or not, this little passage gives us two initial clues. He's mean and dishonest. If you have a classmate or coworker who's mean and dishonest, watch out for that person. Um, you're dealing with a fool who eventually hurts you. One of the questions is, though, how does an intelligent and beautiful woman like Abigail end up with a fool like Nabal. Well, believe me, it still happens today. Sometimes I'll be counseling a couple who's having trouble, and I'll look at the guy she married, and I'm thinking, what were you thinking? The guy is a total Nabal. He's lazy, he's crude, he's addicted. Or I'll look at the woman, and she's a Nabalette. I mean, she's self-centered, she's worldly and crass, and you know, nobody's perfect, I understand that. But if you're dating somebody who's dishonest, mean, and addicted, you might want to think twice until that person gets squared away and gets some help. Abigail has a real project on her hands because she lives every day with a man who's mean and dishonest. Down in verse 36, it goes on, Nabal was in high spirits and, and very drunk. Quick time out. Can I just say, If you have a husband or wife like that, I am so, so sorry about that for you. The daily heartache of living with an alcoholic is really hard and really sad. If you grew up in a home where your dad or mom was drunk a lot, or if it's happening now, I, again, I am so, so Sorry for that, and I hope that you know that you're not the only one, you're not alone, and at this church, we would love to be able to help you with that. But back to the story, David is living in the wilderness with 600 men who he's kind of recruited to go with him and, and be around him in battle because they've been chased out of Israel by King Saul, and David has a, a bounty on his head. So David's on the run just trying to survive, and He and his men settle in the hills of Carmel near Nabal's ranch. Now, in those days, ranchers would often welcome these kind of drifter-type people as extra help to protect their livestock that numbered in the thousands and just roamed the hills freely. So David and his men lived there in Carmel to help Nabal's men protect their livestock from thieves and wild animals. And again, we pick it up here in verse 4, and just stay with me because this is going to really take off. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his men to deliver a message to Nabal, peace and prosperity to you and your family. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. Again, drifters would often attack, you know, ranchers' property. But they did nothing that was ever stolen from them. So would you please... Ten of David's men are asking Nabal, would you please be kind to us 
and give us any provisions you might have. David's men gave this message to Nabal and waited for his reply. Now, Nabal's men even vouched for David and his men. They say this to Nabal. David's men were very good to us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and our sheep. And so these men vouch for David, and David and his men are just asking for some extra supplies, maybe some food. They've been hanging out in the mountains, and they're kind of tired and hungry. And Nabal, would you just give us something to eat? But Nabal says this, who is this David? Who is this David? And why would I take my bread, water, and meat and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Now, when David hears that he's been insulted and kind of stiffed, you know, David's back in the hills. He's got the grill going. He's waiting for his 10 men to come back with steaks and chops. And when he hears he's been insulted by Nabal, he just loses it. The lid blows off, and in verse 13, David says to his men, strap on your swords, men. We're gonna go get this guy. Now again, quick time out. 400 of David's men and David come running down the hill. They have one thing in mind. They're gonna murder Nabal, and frankly, David has lost it. And gang, it's the most dangerous moment in any person's life. When you feel like you've been cheated by somebody, you're hungry, you're tired, you're kind of at the end of your rope, your anger begins to flare, and without even thinking, you plan on doing something that could ruin the rest of your life, because you're just mad. By the way, our courts and prisons are full of good people who in a moment of anger lost it, and they did something they regret. In his latest book on decision-making, great book, John Ortberg writes these words. He says, I was working on a chapter when my wife called to tell me she just got out of court. Nancy had let our dog Baxter off the leash, and the dog police caught her and gave her a ticket, so she went to court to fight it, even though she was completely guilty. The judge said to her, well, did you let the dog off the leash? Nancy said, yes, but it made him so happy. <laughs> this was her main defense, says John, which amazingly got her fine cut in half. But then my wife made a striking comment. She said, John, the court is filled with mainly good people who made a very bad decision. That is so true. I've been there myself in traffic court. You know, in a moment of, you know, bad judgment, I made a bad decision. So did everybody else in the room. So true. Go to any courtroom filled with people who in a moment of anger or bad judgment said, strap on your swords, men. I've had it. My wife was reading my message in preparation. We began talking about this little section. And, you know, she said, Bob, people say all the time this little phrase. They say, justice once. Justice once, I'm going to get even. Just this once, I'm going to steal money from the company. They're not going to miss it. Just one time. Just this once, I'm going to text and drive or drink and drive. Just this once, I'm going to get even with my spouse and go to happy hour with my, without my wedding band on. Gang, I'm telling you, the courts and prisons and counselor's office are filled with people who in a moment of bad judgment said just this once. 
just this once. If you ever find yourself saying that phrase, that should be a huge warning to you. Unless it's about a trip to Alaska when you're going to go hunting, and then you're good to go. I mean, everybody's got to do that just once. But this is where David is. He's, he's strung out, he's tired, and he's, he's just lost his temper. And the only thing between the murder of Nabal and a life sentence for David is the wisdom of Abigail. Now, what's amazing about this is she's married to Nabal. This is her chance to get rid of him. But look what she does in verse 18. She says this, Abigail loses no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five roasted sheep, five bushels of roasted grain, 300 cakes, and loaded them on donkeys. She takes off. She told her servants, go ahead, I will follow you. Look at this. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal. If you're married to a fool, that needs no explanation. There are certain things you never tell a fool. You understand, sadly. But as she rides her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. Here's Abigail with a crock pot full of food. Here's David, 400 men ready to kill somebody. You can't hit a woman with a crock pot. You gotta stop. <laughs> but she doesn't just appeal to his hunger. She, she's so tactful. She's so wise. Watch how this woman handles the situation. Abigail, she sees David, she gets off her donkey. She bows down with her face to the ground. She shows this humility and deference to David. She says, please, David, listen to me, your servant. I know Nabal is wicked and an ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool. Just like his name suggests, she knows he's worthless. She still honors her worthless husband a little bit there, but she tries to protect David from doing something that he would regret for the rest of his life. She says, David, David, you're going to be king. Don't blow it on a fool like Nabal. The Bible says, don't let this blemish be on your record. What great advice. Has that ever happened to you, by the way? Have you ever been on the verge of doing something just terrible or shameful and somebody pulls you aside and they say, don't do it. You'll regret it. It's not worth it. Man, if you've had someone do that for you, you understand David's sigh of relief. He says, oh man, thank God. He sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense, Abigail. Bless you for keeping me from murdering this man and carrying out vengeance with my own hands. He says, I swear to you, had you not come quickly, not one of Nabal's men would have been left alive. So David turns around. He's got this feast. He takes the food with him with his men. They're going to have a ball. But what about Abigail? You think she goes back to a happy home? Man, she goes back to a drunken slob. 
Abigail came to Nabal. He was holding a banquet like that of a king. He wasn't a king. Just acted like it. So common. Especially among guys, really. They think, oh, I'm just so cool. Like that of a king, he was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Timing is everything. When you're dealing with a fool, timing is so critical. You know, she could have walked in and said, I just saved your rear end, bub. But she didn't do that. She just returns home and she goes to bed alone like she's done a thousand times. But God knows what she did. And gang, God is not fooled by fools. Verse 37 says, early in the morning, when Nabal was finally sober, Abigail told him all these things that happened, how she had dated, you know, protected him and saved his rear end. And his heart failed. <laughs> he had a heart attack. He became like a stone, and 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal. The Lord struck Nabal. David didn't strike him. Now, I can't promise every person who's married to a fool that in 10 days, <laughs> God's going to get him. Or in 10 weeks, or in 10 years. But I can promise that God sees it. And God is not fooled. And God will set every wrong straight in his time and in his ways. God is not fooled by this or by anything else, I assure you. And so verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise God who kept me from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His messengers went to Carmel and told Abigail, David wants to know if you'll marry him. She didn't pray about it very long. She quickly got on a donkey, went with David's messengers, and she... She became his wife, and they lived happily ever after. No. <laughs> Probably not. Do you understand this? Even great marriages struggle. Even the very best marriages have normal difficulty and conflict and relational and sexual frustrations. Every marriage struggles. What a great ending. They get married. I want to give you four truths today that will help you deal with fools. Four truths, real quick. First of all, whatever you do, don't marry one. <laughs> don't marry a fool. And I know it narrows the field because there's a lot of fools. <laughs> but gang, there's only one thing worse than being unhappily single, and that is being unhappily married. Life as a single 
can be lonely, can be miserable at times, but I'm telling you, there is, there is no misery like being married to a Nabal or a Nabalette. I don't know why Abigail married Nabal. It was probably an arranged marriage. But you and I can choose. Again, nobody's perfect, but if you're single here today, the most important decision you will ever make in your life, second only to following Christ, is who you choose to marry, if you choose. That one decision will either benefit you or harm you for the rest of your life. So if you're single here today or thinking about remarriage or whatever it might be, there's, there's two things I want to tell you that just don't compromise on. These are two non-negotiables when you're dating somebody or thinking about marriage. Number one, they need to be a believer in Jesus Christ or at least actively pursuing faith. Uh, when Laurie and I were, were contemplating marriage, she said, she said I had some rough edges. Can you believe that? She said I was loud. I, I can't believe that. She said I was obnoxious, among other things. So over the years, we've kind of had this tit-for-tat conversation, and I'll say, well, then why did you marry me? She'll say, because I was 21 and I didn't know any better. <laughs> then I'll say, well, you were probably smitten by my good looks and manliness. She'll say, no, wasn't that. And then she'll say, she'll say this, this, the conversation will settle down, and she'll say, Bob, I, I knew that deep down, your faith in Jesus Christ was the most important thing to you. And then she'll say, and I believe that someday he would change you <laughs> into the kind of person he wanted you to be. I'm telling you, it has been the love and power of Jesus Christ working in my life for 59 years that has helped me move from being this loud and obnoxious and irresponsible person to being a person who has a more tender heart to a person who's able to ask forgiveness to a person who wants to honor God and honor my wife. I'm telling you, without the transformation, the transforming power of Jesus Christ, who alone can change somebody, I wouldn't have made it. And our marriage wouldn't have made it. So first non-negotiable, make sure the person you're dating or you're about to marry is a believer in Christ. The second non-negotiable is make sure that they have deep moral character. I mean, if, if you're dating somebody who's dishonest, addicted, and sleeps around as a single, what makes you think they won't be dishonest, addicted, and unfaithful as a married person? You know, people tell me this all the time. They say, you know, my boyfriend has some flaws, my girlfriend has some issues, but they'll change. Probably not. People can change, and they do change, but gang, don't roll the dice on a person of low character. Usually what you see is what you get, and forever is a long time, long, long time to be married to a fool. So don't marry one. Okay, second thing is this. When you're dealing with fools, don't forfeit your future. 
on a fool. David was in line to be the next king of a nation, Israel. He was in line. He was in line to lead armies into battle. He was in line to author scripture and impact generations for thousands of years. His future was set. And he almost threw it all away with one bad move. Over a fool. I have no idea what kind of fool you may, you may have to deal with in your life. It might be a boss. Might be an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, might be some random person like Nabal. If that person is a fool, you need to use incredible self-control so you don't do something that could forfeit or damage your future. They're not worth it. But here's where it's really dicey. Some of you have a parent who's a fool. Some of you have a sibling. And they can be mean or dishonest like Nabal was, but fools have, have other traits. And I've written about this in my, in my book, Get Wise. There's traits of a fool. If you're wondering what a fool looks like and then how to deal with them. Chapter 8, pick it up. But some other traits that fools have, telltale traits are these. Fools are typically angry about something at all times. The Proverbs say fools just give full vent. They're just always mad. Second, Fools have a toxic tongue. They just say things that are hurtful, often sarcastic. It's just sickening after you've been around it for a while. Fools are quick to quarrel, the Proverbs say. Third, they rarely apologize because they're so insecure. They, they just can't say, oh, forgive me. I was wrong. If you have never apologized that should be a signal to you. That should be a danger signal. Fourth, fools repeat. They just repeat their patterns of foolishness. Proverbs say fools repeat their folly all the time. So here's the question. What do you do if you have a parent who's angry a lot and their tongue is hurtful and they rarely apologize and they just repeat this all the time? What do you do? Couple things real quick. You gotta, you gotta get some professional advice on how to handle that person. Go to a counselor, they'll help you. You know, how do I deal with this parent or this sibling or this friend who's, who's hurtful like this? And then you gotta set some boundaries. You gotta learn and memorize phrases like, look, if you keep yelling like that, I'm, I'm just gonna have to leave. I can't be around that anymore. Or if you have kids, you know, if you don't get sober, if you don't get sober, we won't be bringing the grandkids over anymore. And put the ball in their court. But you're setting up clear boundaries. But whatever you do, don't let a fool compel you to do something that you will regret for the rest of your life. Third thing, how to deal with fools, be Abigail bold. Be bold. When somebody you care about is about to do something that is going to be damaging to them, you need to boldly warn them. I mean, the minute Abigail hears that David is charging down the hill to murder Nabal, she intercepts him and says, David, don't do it. Don't let this murder be on your record for the rest of your life. And David is so relieved that Abigail spoke wisdom to him. I bring this up because how many of us see a friend or family member about to make a bad choice, and you know what a lot of us do? We think, well... It's none of my business. I shouldn't butt in. 
What if they get mad at me? It is your business. If you care at all about this friend or family member, it is your duty to step in and lovingly say something. And if that person has any character at all, they will thank you. They will thank you. David said to Abigail, thank God he sent you to warn me and stopped me from ruining myself. Be Abigail bold. Finally, and this is for me too, I got to trust God more with these difficult relationships that sometimes intersect my life. I got to trust God. The Bible says it this way in Romans, don't take revenge. Bob, don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God to do something, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, God says. I will do it. Because whenever we take things into our own hands, we take it out of God's hands. Isn't that true? Whenever we take things into our own hands, we, we kind of take the bat out of God's hands. God says, leave room for me. God will even the score so you don't have to. David says it this way, praise be to God who has paid back Nabal and kept me from doing it myself. I'm telling you, gang, if vengeance is required, God will deliver in his time and in his way. And some of you are saying, I wish God would do that today. Come on, when are you going to even the score? And that's the hard part. That's where we got to trust him. Because you might never see it in your lifetime. But make no mistake, God will repay. Look what the Bible says about this. God is just. God is fair. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Isn't that a great verse? He will do it. He will pay back trouble. We love that verse. We don't like the next part. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. In other words, it might take some time. <laughs> but God will do it. God is not fooled. He sees what's happening in your life and mine, and he will repay. Doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. Doesn't mean you have to fire somebody sometimes. Sometimes you got to do that. Doesn't mean that. But God will step in. By the way, real quickly... If some of you are a person who's mean and dishonest, if some of you are a person who's angry a lot, has a toxic tongue, never apologizes, and repeats those patterns over and over, can I ask a question? How's that working for you? How's that working for your marriage or your kids or your friendships or your career? My prayer is that somehow, some way, real soon, you'll start to get honest about those foolish behaviors and get some help so that God can begin to help you as well. Some of you might remember the story about the burglar who broke into a home, thought the coast was clear, but suddenly he heard a voice in the dark that said, Jesus and I see you. 
It kind of scared him, but he thought whoever it was, he could overpower that person. He could commit his tri- crime. He took a few more steps, and he heard the voice again. Jesus and I see you. Thought it came from the kitchen. Sounded a lot like a parrot. So this foolish criminal smiles, and when he steps into the kitchen, he, he flipped on the light, and sure enough, there was a parrot sitting in his cage that hung from the ceiling, and he began laughing out loud until he noticed that sitting right beneath the cage was an angry Doberman pincer ready to attack. The parrot squawked, sick him, Jesus. And he did. God is not fooled. He will sick him in his way. And in his time, God is just. God is fair. Will we trust him? As we close today at all campuses, we have a ministry in this church called Quest 180. It's a ministry that welcomes anyone who struggles with addiction, alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever it might be, I'm telling you, this is an amazing ministry. If you struggle with addiction, if you have someone in your family who struggles, I encourage you to get online or visit our lobby area and ask about Quest 180. If you're a teenager and you struggle with addiction or your parents do, we have a ministry in this church, it's an amazing ministry called The Landing. The Landing for Teenagers. You're not alone. We'd love to be able to help. And then next week, we're going to conclude this series uh, with a message called Honor the Dishonorable. And I am so excited about next week's closing message. And I hope you all can come back for that. But at all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way. Father, thank you for your patience with us, with me. The truth about me, God, is I can be extremely foolish. I've been a fool many, many times. So, Lord, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your incredible forgiveness. Thank you that you are a God of second chances. God, nobody standing here in this room is beyond beyond your reach. Nobody's beyond help. By your grace, we can be forgiven and healed and set free. I pray for every person standing here who has to deal with a fool at home or at work or in the classroom. God, give that person strength and help and love and protection. Help them to trust you and know that you see it and you are just and you are fair and you will rescue. We pray these things, Father, in the precious name of Jesus.